Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 143 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Sarah Lytle, along with the rest of the crew. This month's musical guest is Sherry Ann Wettstein, and we have an interview with her and three songs that she recorded in our studio. We'll also share a conversation we have with Will Scott about the local music scene. We had Deb Bowden in the studio for an interview, and she'll read one of her short stories, Garfield Park. And we have another Andrew Hubbard poem called Granny Noville. This month, we also have three essays, one each from Rick Fettig, Jim Eagleman, and Dave Seastrom. Our first segment begins with our Sherry Ann Wettstein interview. Will Scott shares a few local musical updates. Rick Fettig has a few thoughts about the state of being and we'll close with a Sherry Ann Westine tune, Vertigo. Folks, this is Rick Fettig here, and we're at the Brown County Hour, and I'm with Sherry Ann Wettstein. You did it. You did it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People have trouble with that from what she says. Yeah, she's a wonderful young lady, and she comes into our open mic night quite often and brings some friends, and they get up there and jam, and she does a bunch of solo stuff, and she did a songs for us here today, and you wrote all those songs, didn't you? I did, yes. Okay, well, cool. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, your dad's a local hero, isn't he, or something? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I say. I say he's a legend. Yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a native, native weirdo, as I say. But, yeah, when I, was, uh, when I was born, I lived in the parsonage right in the middle of the town, so I was actually born right in the middle of the town. <laughs> My brother figured out really quickly that he could stick his hand through the fence and get money from the tourists because we were so cute, so we would stand <laughs> there being cute. But I lived there till I was about three. 
Um, yeah, my dad is was the preacher at the Nashville Christian Church when I was born, and he also is a songwriter, and he's been writing songs since I was born. I have a little picture when I was one of me grabbing his strings. That's all I can remember because hmm. my dad was always playing guitar and traveling and writing songs. So he's yeah. he's my hero. So he's my inspiration. And he's an author too, right? He's an author too. He just uh, published his second book. Oh, wow. Yep. Well, then you do some writing because you wrote those songs. When did that start for you? I started when I was about, I actually didn't pick up a guitar until I was about 21-ish. I played, started with piano when I was seven um, and sang a little bit in school, but I didn't really get into my music till I was 21. I picked up a guitar and just fiddled around, didn't take a lesson. Joined my first band when I was maybe 22. It was the funnest experience of my life. The band's name was Splinter. We were together for several years, and we wrote and recorded and played all over the place. It was so fun. Yeah. So, And then from then, this I'm in like maybe my sixth or seventh band. I have a band right now, um, Zodiac Lightning, and we play frequently, and we're all getting ready to go in the studio in January, Primary Sound in Bloomington, and we're going to be recording um, 12 songs that I wrote. You playing locally anywhere other than the BCI? I mean, you do whole yeah, evenings. You do whole place. evenings yourself, and then you and the band play. I do. I different. do solo shows. I do two, three hour solo shows. I do band stuff. I do duo things. I have a, all my dates on my Facebook. I've got me side and band side over here, yeah. all separate. But yeah, it's pretty busy. Um, right now, we're just focusing on getting in the studio, so I don't have anything else planned. Get through the holidays, um, and then get the studio recording done, and and then we've got a bunch of dates. Since you mentioned it, how do people get a hold of you and how do they find you on the... Um, how you get a hold of me is if I uh, spell my name, S-H-A-R-I-A-N-N-E-W-H-E-T-S-T-I-N-E, if you got that. And then you can type it in and find me on Facebook. Do you get that? You guys yeah. get that? <laughs> <laughs> type it in. <laughs> yeah. Find me on Facebook. I've got a YouTube. If you go to my Facebook, there's a link to my YouTube and it has my schedule all right there. So you can see what I'm doing, where I'm at. Well, what kind of guitar you play? What are you, you you have you brought an amp in here tonight, but we didn't end up using it. We so didn't what's use your it. Yeah, favorite stuff to do. Um, that's my newest amp back there. That's a Marshall amp that I that I just bought. Other than that, I used a Fender Acoustasonic for like thirty years. It was a beast until <laughs> I finally got something else. And today I played a, a Martin. I have a Martin that I played today, and it's my seventh child. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's my seventh child. Was that a uh, dream to own a Martin? Yeah, or? kind of. Yeah, yeah, pretty well, cool. much. Yeah, you got to be able to afford it. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a, a Epiphone ES three three nine for Christmas. I just got it, an electric. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, I've yeah. been kind of dreaming about getting another electric guitar. I had an electric guitar when I was about twenty two or three. I had it for about a year, played it, and then sold it. And I've just kind of dreamed ever since about having another one. So I got one for Christmas. Okay. I got some work to do. I was going to say. You're gonna you got to buy more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another amp, some pedals, things like that. Oh, what about um, going to learn, do more leads and get yeah, learn a little bit more about the guitar? Or are you happy yeah, with where I'd you're like at? I'd like to. It's always been my dream to be able to like just wail and do some solos. But honestly, apparently not. I'll probably just still always be a rhythm player and write songs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another Woody Guthrie. Got that darn day day job too. The day job kind of. Oh yeah, you're a nurse. In the way. Yeah, that's 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 pretty important position. You know, nurses are and teachers, and there's a lot of valuable things people can offer to life. You know, so we got to do our best we can, don't we? Yep. Offer offer our best. 
Well, we sure appreciate you coming in and uh, hope to see you around town and listen to you. And great songs. Thank you very very enjoyable songs tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what you gonna say? I told you, brother. Now, what you gonna do? This is Chuck Wills, and with me now is a guest that's been here a number of times before talking about his music, and is joining us now to talk a bit about that, but also some of the excellent events that he is involved with booking around the county. Please welcome Will Scott. Hello. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. I know that you've had a lot of adventures with your own music, and now you're branching out a little bit doing uh, booking of shows and bigger events. So why don't you tell us what you have planned for this year? I'd be glad to. Well, I'm continuing to do uh, four nights a week of music at Brown County Inn, including our regular Wednesday open mics that start at six, where Rick Fedick and I alternate which nights we do. We also try to filter in a few touring acts every year to keep the word out about Brown County. I know this year we've got folks coming in from North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, of course, and Chicago. And that's, that's at Brown County Inn. All coming down to Brown County Inn for special shows. A lot of that at the Hill Folk Music Series on Thursdays. Right. And that's a series that you've been doing for a few years now. That's true. Yes. I helped create that along with the owners of the venue. And it's been building up over the number of years. And we're really thrilled to have often a, a good listening crowd in there on Thursdays to hear whatever people are bringing to town or what the locals want to bring out in their original songs. Oh, very good. And Fridays and Saturdays, we have a mix of kind of roots, rock, blues, that kind of thing. Saturdays are usually the rockin' night where we'll bring the drums in in season and get people up on the dance floor and have a good time doing that. I'm looking forward to continuing with Brown County Inn this year. I'm also involved with Indiana Wine Fair at Story Inn that happens every year in May usually. This year, I believe it's May 4th. And that's two stages, a smaller one and a bigger one out back in the barn, where especially out back in the barn, we try to have female fronted bands to serve the audience that comes out because it's a a lot of women that drive the sales to wine fair. Sure. And that's a ticketed event with a lot of wine available for free uh, and great music and a good place to dance and good food. Very highly recommended. And they have buses also to get people to and from story back to the town of Nashville so that if folks are out there enjoying their wine, they don't have to drive back up the road to get to their hotel. So safety as much as convenience. You bet. (laughs) Perfect. Or you can always get a room at Story Inn if there's one available. Sure. And just stay right on site. Okay. Recently confirmed, I'm going to be working with the Bean Blossom Music Park and Campground or Bill Monroe's Music Park and Campground, depending on how you're searching for it, on the Americana Bean Jamboree this year helping to run a stage and book a stage out there. And that's uh, May 30 to June 1. And then the next big push I've got going on is uh, my first official show at Brown County Playhouse. And this one is going to be John Primer out of Chicago. 
The John, John Primer. The John Primer. Yes. Blues legend, multi-Grammy winner, Grammy nominated this year in the Blues Hall of Fame. He's played with the greats. He played with Muddy Waters, Willie yeah. Dixon, possibly best known as the band leader for Magic Slim and the Teardrops. And that's how I got to know John Primer back in the day at the Checkerboard Lounge somewhere in the 80s. I don't want to date myself too much. <laughs> and he's, he's going to come down and play a great show. He's going to be open for by John McDonald, who was also a former Teardrop member. And I brought in Tom Harold on harmonica because he's one of my favorite harmonica players in the area to play with John McDonald, just to give him a soloist to play along. Nice. I really love his harmonica playing, and I think it's going to blow people away if they haven't heard it. I know most blues fans have. Tom's been part of the Gordon Bonham Blues Band for a number of years. And Gordon, as you know, plays all over at the festivals. Very well known. Very well known. So suffice to say, for blues fans, this is an incredible opportunity. I mean, this this doesn't just happen. This is an incredible opportunity you to bet. hear legends on the stage. You know, it used to be that a lot of the blues legends would travel down through Indianapolis and further south and come this way, but they don't tend to anymore. The venues sort of dried up and the, yeah. you know... Multiple socioeconomic factors influence that. But I'm so thrilled to get John Primer back down here. I know he's excited to come back down with his Real Deal Blues Band because they've been trying to do a lot more heading down this way. And that's February 10. And for more information, they can go to browncountyplayhouse.org, O-R-G. Very good. Well, that is a great list of shows happening throughout the county. And thanks for bringing those in. We'll look forward to seeing you over at Brown County Inn, Bill Monroe's Story, and over at the Playhouse. I'm sure everyone listening knows that's just a few of the things going on with music down here. Brown County has become such a huge music destination these days with more venues and more great acts coming up every day. I am, I am, I was given that phrase as a mantra when I took up Transcendental Meditation ages ago. I think focusing on the subject at hand is currently the quiet time in my mind these days, being in the moment, you know, be here now. I am, I am. You know, after all these years, I think I'm starting to understand and believe that, that I am. I am a lot of things. I am a male, I am a father, I'm about 5'10", I'm a homeowner, well, a partner with the bank, well, there you go, I am a partner. I am an American, how's that? I am a lot of things. But think about it, how often do you say that on a daily basis? I am, I am. Well, you're what? I am tired, I'm busy, I'm all fired up, I'm shy, oh, I'm screwed. When a person says, I am, they are confessing what they think they are. To speak something helps to bring it into fruition or into concretion. It helps confirm it. Remember the line, I think I can, I think I can? An athlete confesses to himself or herself, I am going to win this race or game. The musician says, I am going to learn that song. I am going to write that song. Or I am going to rock the house tonight. Think about what you confess about yourself throughout the day. I am a mother or father, a brother. I am a carpenter, a good one. I am a nurse or maybe a technician. I was in a checkout line the other day, and a mom and her maybe three-year-old daughter were in front of me. 
I was waving, making faces, and teasing the young three-year-old as mom was checking out. Very cute little girl. So the checker made a comment about the youngster. That prompted the mom to respond. Oh, she's such a spoiled little thing. She's a handful. And of course, she was teasing and everybody was smiling and lighthearted. But after they got out the door, it hit me. Shouldn't she be telling that little girl how smart and how talented and kind she is? That would help the child believe that she is smart, talented, and kind. Isn't that what we should be doing to ourselves? Confessing things that put an affirmative spin on our lives and attitude? I am stubborn. How about I am persistent? I am emotional. How about caring? Dramatic. How about I'm expressive, intense, I'm focused. Well, we're back to focus. Be here now. There was a funny thing on Facebook the other day. It said, my house has two levels of cleanliness. Not, and oh well, it's better than it was. You see, there can be a positive spin on anything. Tomorrow is a new day. Change your thoughts, change your life. When you feel good about yourself, it just might rub off on that stranger you smiled at at the post office or maybe a mom with a three-year-old little girl. A bunch of people running around with a positive attitude might just eventually stimulate a more positive and loving attitude in the country. How about in the world? Well, it starts at home with you. Your confession about yourself can limit you or liberate you. I am imaginative. I am passionate, expressive, I'm focused, I am a leader, I am empathetic, I am loving, I am thankful. How about today, this month, how about every day? Make it a point to love yourself. This is Rick Fettig, and I am just saying. Hi, my name is Sherry Ann Wettstein. This song is Vertigo, the first song I'm going to do. And this song is about vertigo, which I actually have. So I'm going to try to get through it without falling over. That's, that's my one joke. That's it. That's all you got. No more jokes. I feel like I'm falling. I sure do need you calling. See if I am down. My feet just spun around. I don't know which way's up. I don't know what's down. If I look from side to side, the whole world spins around. I can walk a straight and narrow. I'm a broken wheel on a wheelbarrow. The check engine lights on, and my sense of direction's gone. Vertigo, oh, you must go. Oh, you must go. I need 
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County, a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online. More at OurBrownCounty.com. Our conversation with Deb Bowden begins segment two. Andrew Hubbard has a poem called Granny Noville. We'll hear Deb Bowden reading her story, Garfield Park, and we'll finish this segment with a Sherry Ann Wettstein song, Going Home. Good evening. I'm here tonight with Deb Bowden, friend of mine and prolific writer, and uh, she's uh, submitted a couple stories to us, and we've probably interviewed you before. And uh, you're not originally from Brown County, but it seems like you've been here forever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Yeah, I went to school with Brown Countyans at Ball State, and then they shanghaied me and dragged me here in uh, fall of uh, 1970. So I fell in love, and this is home. And you raised your family here. Yes, I did. And once your daughter graduated, you're one of those people that sometimes are rare that can reinvent themselves after empty nests. I have reinvented myself multiple times <laughs> over the years. <laughs> and I may still do it again. There you go. And how many books have you written now? Oh, over 20. Oh, my god! I'm not sure. And there's two more being illustrated right now, so they'll be out sometime this summer. So one of your uh, proclivities is horror novels. For adults, yes. Yes. (laughs) Not for children. (laughs) I I know you wrote one on kudzu. Yes. And it seems like you do a lot of research for your books. I do. Kudzu, though, came from childhood fears because we used to visit my uh, Papa King down in Hartford, Kentucky, uh, as I was growing up, and... I saw kudzu had just taken over everything, and it gave me a few nightmares. And so I thought, what if that stuff was really alive and thinking? So when I grew up and had the opportunity, I turned it into something that was thinking, judging and killing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, tell us about your more recent horror novel. Uh, uh, 30 Hides. Uh, I did a uh, book on less toil dolls several years ago, and I met the the granddaughter of the man who started the company, uh, which now is owned by Clorox. And she and I got to be friends. She's Jewish. They came from Russia between World War One and World War Two, and she was back over looking at the Holocaust and stuff, and was telling me about it. And I got very interested, and since my father had been on the Western Front and had gone across the enemy lines at night, special ops. So I started doing a lot of research, about four years' worth of research, because I didn't know about 1945, and I had to find all kinds of stuff to make it fit that time period. Um, And I decided, well, what would happen if the people who had been so damaged and tortured and died, what if they came back seeking revenge? 
So that was the gist of this particular one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've had many people said that they had nightmares reading it, so <laughs> I suppose uh-huh. it's pretty good. One person even uh, proposed seeing if I could get it done as a, a movie, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen or not. Mm-hmm. So, and then juxtaposed to that, you write children's books. Yeah. <laughs> Left brain, right brain, I guess. <laughs> uh, I started writing children's books because my daughter was scared to death of skeletons and didn't want to trigger treats. So I, at that time, I invented Mr. Bramble Bones, who was a grandfatherly skeleton. And I owned a little kitty cat we called Grimmy. So it became Mr. Bramble Bones and Grimmy the cat. And to this day, she loves skeletons now. She's got skeleton everything you can think of. Huh. So, But that, that started me on writing children's books. And there, that's a series, isn't it? That's a series How of ten. I think there's eight. One of them is now being illustrated, will be out soon. And then the Horace books came along because of um, we got bored watching a Ball State game on alumni. We were both alumni. And (laughs) we were losing so badly by at least 40-some points that we just went back to the alumni tent and sat there and munched on food and had a couple of drinks and pulled out some pieces of paper. And between the two of us, we came up with six stories for Horace the Misunderstood Buzzard. Huh. But she uh, she didn't want any credit for it because she said, you fleshed it all out. All I did was just help with the skeleton, the uh, ideas. So uh, No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a third series out, which is Felicia, The Money Misadventures of Felicia Brown. That came about because my father, when he traveled with the health department when I was little, he'd only be home on weekends. So he would mail me stories about a little girl named Felicia, which was based upon me and things that I pulled. Um, and later I just told some of those stories to my daughter and she insisted I started writing them. So uh-huh. now there's, so I have three children's series. Uh-huh. Now, I know you've been a longtime member of the local writers group. How much help was that in getting you to become a published author? Well, I had been writing for a long, long time before that. The first thing I got published was a book called Kairos, which was at Ball State, Mm -hmm. which was what wet my whistle. And then my dad encouraged me. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I came to Raps, I was looking for help in honing my skills. And uh, that's when I started writing memoirs and then Mm -hmm. branched out from there. Mm-hmm. I had all these things written at home. I had just never done anything with them. And where are your books available in the local bookstore? They're all on Amazon right oh, now. Oh, okay. That's where so you can get them. So they would look up your name. Yeah, you could look up for the children's books. You can look up Deborah Bowden or Deb Bowden. And under the horror novels, um, you can look up Rosemary Coven. Because mm-hmm. I tried to separate the children's books from the adult horror. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that, that's B-O-W-D-E-N. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm so glad you came tonight. Well, thank you and so much for having it's me. it's been a fun interview. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Oh, thank you. And this one is called Granny Noville. They call me a witch, mostly because I'm old and ugly and live out of the way in an abandoned cabin that used to be somebody's hunting camp. I guess the bent back with a little twist makes me witchy too, and the cane. If I was a real witch, you bet I could straighten up and throw the cane in the fire. And I could stop the roof leak that I swear follows me around the cabin to wherever I set my cart when there's a heavy rain. And I'd ride a broomstick. My, that would be fun. 
and the boys, who win a dare, by throwing rocks at me, I'd stop them up so bad they'd cry trying to go toilet. But I ain't a witch, not in the regular use of the word. I'm an herb doctor. My granny taught me when I was a little girl. She said, I know every herb in the woods, and what I don't know ain't knowledge, it's book learning. She said, there's an herb for every ailment of man and women, because God wants us to be happy, and you can't be happy if you're sick. Once when I was about seven, I said, why didn't God just make us so we couldn't get sick? She was quiet a long time, and then she said, because God don't work that way. Don't you be questioning God's ways. Then she was quiet again a long time. I thought she was praying for me, because I said something wrong. But now I think my question vexed her, and she was trying to work it out. She died before her time of the wasting disease, and now it's only me left with the knowledge. Sometimes it troubles me there's no one to come after. It's lonely, but I consider it's part of God's plan and not for me to understand. So it's just me, me and the herbs. Granny called them yarbs, but I get the modern pronouncing. Some I hang in bunches to dry, some I steep or boil if I need to hurry things along, and some I lays in the sun for them to get their strength. I don't go to people, even though the only other herb lady I knowed went door to door with her wares. She was older and more bent than me, and they found her dead one day in the middle of a dirt road. They was afraid of her and buried her at the crossroads so her spirit couldn't rise. No, people come to me. Almost every day somebody comes with their complaint. Sometimes it's pain or nightmares or a guilty conscience, and I can't do nothing for that. But by far most of the time, it's about love or sex, and I'm blessed if I can tell the difference. With things like that I can help, at least I think I can. I give them what I can, and they pay me if they can. If they don't come back, does it mean they was fixed, or does it mean they wasn't fixed? I almost never know. This can't go on forever. I'm real tired, and there are days I can't get out of bed. I've got a horror of being buried unmarked at some crossroads, so I've writ out a paper about what to do with me and where I've got a little silver hid. It won't be long now, and I've got the pride to say I never hurt nobody, only tried to help. I just wish there was somebody to carry the knowledge on. I hate to see it all lost. A Reading in Garfield Park Andy preferred the hourglass in his studio. This was a three-hour one commissioned for him by Sandra, his beloved. The glass was a bittersweet memory of a happy past. Each morning when he turned it over to start time anew, he thought of her, the sparkling one, as glistening as the glitter within the blue sand. Today he couldn't shake the memories, Sandra's silver slippers dancing silently on the studio's hardwood floor as her gauze skirt swirled around her. She sometimes played a carved flute as she moved. Andy mused, no, Sandra isn't beautiful in the standard way. She's too thin for that, but she's beautiful in my eyes. Andy looked around the studio. He hadn't been able to paint for a month, not since she left. 
He could still hear her voice saying, I love your street scenes, your landscapes, your impressionistic faces. Your work gives me inspiration. There's a whole novel in each canvas. There's no writer to interpret my paintings now, Andy thought sadly. He took a deep breath and stretched. I need to get outside away from these morose memories. Now would be a good day for a picnic at Garfield Park. I'll take my paints and canvas along. Well, maybe something will strike me. Having a direction, he busied himself in the kitchen. Two sandwiches paired with some hot cider brightened his mood considerably. I should do this for as many sunny days as there are left. A different place each time. He grabbed his supplies and nearly jogged to the bus stop. Forty minutes later, Andy had his short easel set up. He sat on the ground, munching a sandwich, and watching a woman do a tarot reading for a customer. He tried to be discreet, hoping that the pair wouldn't notice him sketching them and wouldn't move. He would add details later. Right now, he needed to get the general poses done before the customer left, or they got up. Then he would add the scenes setting in the background and the skyline in the background, because those wouldn't change. He already knew the title for his painting, A Reading in Garfield Park. Andy was close enough to hear the tarot reader exclaim, Ah, you've drawn the lovers. The lovers? Looks more like a vampire card. He's sucking her life out, just like that bastard did me, said her customer. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. That card means sexual attraction, beauty, and love. A moral choice to be made. It's a drawing together of opposites with difficulties overcome. This is a good card, a card of healing and moving forward. Let's see what the next card has to say. The reader's words slammed into Andy's heart and head. There are no simple coincidences in the world. Everything has meaning and a purpose. A direction needed taking. He remembers Sander telling him that last summer. Well... This is just such a coincidence, he thought. Andy finished his preliminary sketch and briefly outlined the background. He smiled to himself, feeling full of hope. Tonight, when he returned home, he'd call Sandra and apologize. He'd been blindly stubborn. He was determined not to let five happy years disappear because of his fears. Been a silly argument that split them apart. Sandra wanted them to go to Tokyo just for a year. She would write and Andy would paint. They would do a book together showing with Sandra's writing next to each painting, which inspired them. Andy hadn't wanted to go. He told Sandra it'd be too expensive and stressful. He didn't know if he wanted to sublet the apartment. Where would they find a place to live? Who would see their work over there? That's the list of excuses went on and on. There'd been many angry words, accusations, hurt feelings. His lover had stormed out. That was a month ago. They hadn't been to part in over five years. The real problem was that Sandra spoke Japanese, and he didn't. He'd feel isolated, helpless, scared, like a small boat tossed in the water with no wheel or rudder. And he'd never been outside of the country, but Sandra had many, many times. He'd been too afraid to let go and allow her to take care of him for a change. He was afraid of failure. I'll call you tonight, he said out loud. You'll be sleeping now, the time difference. You're in Japan, and you have an apartment, so going there will be so much easier for me. I won't have to be afraid. Sander, will you wait for me at the airport? Two weeks, babe. Two weeks. The reading at Garfield Park went quickly. This song is called Going Home, written by moi, Sherry Ann Wettstein. Maybe I should also say that I'm AKA Sweet Pea. That was my CP handle when I was a kid, so I've been going by that lately for two reasons, because one, you can pronounce it, and second of all, you can spell it. So anyway, this is written by me, Sweet Pea. This song is uh, Going Home. I wrote it on an airplane, and this is about following your dream and following your heart.
We pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. 
Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with an essay by Jim Eagleman about Thoreau's Walden. Dave Seastrom has a new puppy and will hear his essay called Molly Tales. The show will close with Sherry Ann Wettstein's tune, Free Flowing Poet. I received the book Walden for Christmas and recall reading several snippets and parts of this book years ago in college, but never the entire collection. Lately, I've had a second chance to read about the experiences by the author Henry David Thoreau. Apparently, I had dismissed his inclusive review of humanity in the town of Concord, Massachusetts, and thought him just a cabin builder. But his two-year experiment, as he called it, allowed him the opportunity to live as simply as possible in a small house he built, learning how to eliminate all unnecessary material in his life and the, quote, spiritual details, his words, that he saw intrude upon human happiness. Claimed an American classic, Thoreau's Walden, or another name is A Life in the Woods, is a look at human life often compared to the natural environment near his home, He remarks on the simplistic ways of birds and animals near the cabin, using metaphors and sometimes very lengthy prose, much of it in vivid detail. His observations are clean and patient. He looks closely at the frogs, aquatic plants, and dragonflies in his pond, for example, sometimes huddled over a tree stump for hours, or he intently may be examining a leaf floating by, losing all track of time he thought as a gift and his concentration seems equally passionate to me, to some of the field biologists I've read in more contemporary journals. A friend once walked by the pond and observed him lying prone along the shoreline and thought him dead since he didn't move. When he retreated to a small house, and the people in Concord called it a hut, he was so soaked and coughing he thought himself that he'd die by morning. By 1845, the farms and lands around Concord appeared to him not so much a center of enriched farm life, but places where more and more production of food, grains, livestock, and waste took place. The farmer, indebted to the bank that loaned him money, Thoreau envisioned him a slave. The farmer's daily work, what time he could spend with his family and the personal pleasure of working the land, were all compromised. He asks, why is this so? And says, our life, quote, is frittered away by detail. Simplicity, 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 he says, with an exclamation mark at the end. What is required to make the land profitable kept the farmer hostage, he said. Here's another example of his observation of life, this one typical, how wild creatures live free, although it's a bit wordy. Quote, to the sick, the doctors wisely recommend a change of air and scenery. Thank heaven, here is not all the world. The buckeye does not grow in New England, and the mockingbird is rarely heard here. The wild goose is more cosmopolitan than we. He breaks his fast in Canada, takes a lunch in the Ohio, and plumes himself for the night in a southern bayou. Even the bison, to some extent, keeps pace with the seasons, cropping the pastures of the Colorado, only till a greener and sweeter grass awaits him by the Yellowstone. Yet we think of if rail fences are pulled down and stone walls are piled up on our farms, 
bounds are henceforth set to our lives and our fates decided. If you are chosen a town clerk, you cannot go to Tierra de Fuego this summer, but you may go to the land of eternal fire nonetheless. The universe is wider than our views of it, he said. Now, if you are as confused as I am with this passage, we may have to give more time and thought and try to decide what Thoreau's saying. I recall a high school literature class in our discussion of both Thoreau and his buddy, Walf Roldo Emerson. My attempt to understand transcendental meditation by both men professing it was for me an exercise in frustration. I could understand certain parts that man should live simply, remove from technology, financial hold in the demands of society, that man could learn from how animals live, often without distress. Both men were supporters of human rights, not held captive by religious customs, and thought we should pursue our own life free of restrictions, and in some cases, the laws thought up even by man. Thoreau was even more of an advocate for all life, Calling attention to the narrow diet choice he saw in his fellow Concord residents, he said, I have no doubt that it is part of the destiny of the human race to leave off the eating of animals, he said. Later, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the spiritual leader during the 60s, he became famous when the Beatles sought his guidance, he professed a similar type of transcendental meditation as Thoreau and Emerson. Thoreau's lifestyle of living alone and simply was to some members of the Concord community an idea worth exploring. Thoreau entertained some businessmen in a small cabin, intrigued how he could barter for food they thought heat his cabin and live without any secure financial means. He mentions that while several remarked they too would like to try this simple existence, he saw that when they walked back to town, several reached into their hip pocket to make sure they still had their wallets. Living alone, he said, I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. Many nature lovers I know have used Thoreau's philosophy as a guidance and a way to live. Bolstered by his experiences, they see no fault in his take on letting life live unaltered by man. Nothing can deter a poet, he said, for he is activated by pure love. Henry David and Ralph Waldo, you are complicated men. And what you profess, I will have to give you more time in 2024. Jim Eagleman for Nature Ramblings, the Brown County Hour. Talk with you next time. When our dog Wilson died in August, his 10-year-old companion, Max, took to the sofa and became mostly sedentary. He enjoyed his meals and being loved on, but the only time he wanted to go outside was to do his business. Without his playmate, he lost a lot of his gumption, and he seemed resigned to his solitary fate. Max always distrusted riding in the car because the only time he did was when we went to the veterinarian. He liked being around the other dogs at the vets, but he hated everything else. Being the ornery dog that he is, he has to wear a muzzle or he'll bite the dock and the folks that trim his nails. We decided that what he needed was a new companion. The first time we took him to a shelter, we saw a new attitude of enthusiasm, and from then on, riding in the car became a joyous occasion. He was excited when we met the first dog, who was an older female, but she would have nothing to do with him. The second time around, the over-the-top greeting from a two-year-old female golden doodle 
totally put him off. Even so, it was clear that he loved the process and all we had to do was show him a leash and he was all over it. After looking at shelter dogs online, we found a likely prospect, a seven-month-old female puppy who was rescued from some bad circumstances. He and Molly hit it off the moment they met, and when we had to return for a second visit, he was so happy, he was hard to contain in the back seat on the way there. Max makes a huffing, grunting sound when he's happy, and we heard that song of anticipation all the way to the shelter. From the moment she arrived, Molly has brought much joy and happiness to all of us, especially Max, who in many ways has returned to his old, robust self. Molly needs to go out every two hours or so, but Max doesn't because this old boy can hold it for hours. However, as soon as Max and Molly see her leash in my hand, they both fight for position at the door and they burst into the yard like a band of marauding animals. Molly is upping my game. Actually, she's upping all of our games. Max spends a good portion of his day tussling and playing with this young upstart, and that will only increase once she's trained to the invisible fence. Becky and I have to be consistently vigilant, or items we cherish will end up dog-chewed. A moment of silence indicates mischief of the highest order, and as a result, we're constantly getting onto our feet to see what she's up to. Then there's the vigilance of making sure she relieves herself outside. So far, we've only had one poop incident in the house, and that was within the first few minutes of her arrival. Keeping track of her peeing is much trickier, but it's also the easiest to deal with. When Molly drinks some water, she needs to go outside. I'm like that, so it's easy to remember. Almost as soon as she's out the door, she does her business, and then we're back inside. Getting her to poop takes more commitment. We have a path that our dog Spotty always took that starts out from the kitchen, goes up the hill and across the field. Then we go into the woods and circle the bigger pond, which takes us on an uphill walk through the forest heading back to the house. If she's going to go, it happens just as we're almost returned. This walk takes about 15 minutes. Molly and I have talked about this, and I've tried to convince her that since she poops a few steps from the kitchen door, she could skip the rest of the walk, do her good deed, and we'll be back inside in no time. This would be particularly nice seeing how it's really cold right now. Even though I've tried walking her directly to the sacred spot, she'll have none of it. Unless she has her walk first. I get that. For her, the walk is the best part of the entire enterprise and the poop is secondary. This is not my perspective, and as far as I'm concerned, she should poop first and walk later. But here's the thing. Walking with her human and Max is her introduction to an amazing new world that she's just found herself in. She spent her entire early puppyhood confined to a pen with six other dogs. Just on the other side of the wire was a world of adventure that she could only smell look at from a distance and dream about. Now, this world is hers for the taking, and it will only get better from here on out. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. This song is called Free Flowin' Poet. This is written by me, Sherry and Wettstein, and this song I wrote uh, about a year ago after writing songs for 30 years, I thought it'd be fun to write a song about songwriting. So this is how I envision myself as, as the free flowin' poet. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to episode 143 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite streaming services. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Lucy Schultz, Sarah Lytle, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrup. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. 
Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.